Today on the show, we look back at how Notre Dame fared in the transfer portal this winter, and I'll explain why I think the Irish did improve their roster despite a rocky start. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to Locked On Irish, your daily Notre Dame podcast. Today is Thursday, February 1st, and thank you for getting your day and the month of February started right here by making this your first listen of the day. My name is Tyler Wojak, and I'm the host. I'm a Notre Dame grad and producer covering college football for Fox Sports. And you can watch the full show on YouTube or listen wherever you get your podcast. But no matter how you chose to tune in today, I'm grateful you're here. All I ask is that you please subscribe if you have not already done so. And today's episode is brought to you by Fandle. Make every moment more. New customers join today, and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Visit Fandle.com slash on to get started today. I'm going to answer whether or not Notre Dame improved their roster in the transfer portal this past cycle and what moves they still need to make when the portal opens back up after spring practice. The portal calendar is pretty much closed, and even though there are still some uh, some more moving and shaking with coaches leaving like at Michigan and then most recently Boston College head coach Jeff Halfley is taking a job in the NFL, um, there are still some players who can transfer. There's also, I think the window is still open for Washington and Alabama, but Notre Dame really isn't in the the running for those guys. So now that it's all said and done, we're going to look at what Notre Dame was able to add and who left the program via the transfer portal and try to figure out how much Notre Dame improved the roster now that it's all over. I'm going to start by going over the offense, then I'll switch it over to the defense and special teams in segment two. And, I'm, and I, I really think there's two ways of looking at this. You could look at it one way, which is what I'm going to really focus on here. Are the new additions better than the alternatives that are on Notre Dame's roster? Are they better than the guys that Notre Dame likely would have started if they had not added this guy in the transfer portal? Now, you could also look at, is this an upgrade over what Notre Dame had last year? But that is less in the coach's control. I mean, some guys graduate or they exhaust their eligibility or they declare for the NFL draft. And then you can try to add uh, and fill that need in the transfer portal. But let's look at a guy like Cam Hart. I don't really think there was another Cam Hart available there in the transfer portal. So I'm going to really focus on what Notre Dame added compared to what they lost and who was on the roster. And if you look at the offense, they only added four guys. They added quarterback Riley Leonard, Chris Mitchell from Florida International, wide receiver, wide receiver Bo Collins from Clemson, and the third wide receiver, Jaden Harrison from Marshall, but he's more of like a kick return, punt return specialist. They actually lost eight guys. But really, it's seven because the eighth guy is Joey Tonona, who I'm just happy that he's playing football again because he suffered a life-threatening injury, I believe, um, in a car accident very early on in his career. And then it looked like he was going to quit football entirely. But now he's back. Now he's playing for Purdue. So technically, that's a loss if you look at the transfer portal. But he wasn't really even on the team so far. But technically, it's eight. So really, it's seven, though. And Notre Dame lost. Tight end, Holden stays. He went to Tennessee. They lost Rico Flores, the wide receiver. He's at UCLA. Um, Chris Tyree went to Virginia. Braylon James is now at TCU. Tobias Merriweather is at Cal. Starting center, Zeke Carell is now at NC State, and they lost offensive lineman Michael Carmody to UCLA. So despite the fact that Notre Dame lost more players than they added on offense, as a whole, I believe they upgraded the offense overall, primarily because they improved at the most important position, quarterback. 
I believe that Riley Leonard is a significantly better option than Steve Angeli. Now, that's not to say that I I don't think that Notre Dame should really try to keep Steve Angeli because I think uh, he has a ton of value to the team. I actually went over that yesterday as I discussed Riley Leonard's injury in yesterday's episode and what that means for Steve Angeli and Kenny Minchie as well. But when you look at what they've done in their careers, it's not even really close. Riley Leonard has 619 career pass attempts. Steve Angeli has 44. Most of them were in garbage time. Marcus Freeman values experience, especially at quarterback, and Leonard has plenty of it. And experience at the quarterback position, I believe, is more valuable now, uh, at least at the college level, than it's ever been. You look at the quarterbacks who are playing in the national championship and in the college football playoff, a lot of those guys had a lot of snaps under their belt. And then you had guys like Bo Nix, um, Jane Daniels, guys who've been around a long time. Those are the best quarterbacks in college football this past year. I also think that outside of just looking at his experience, Leonard has a much higher upside given his size, his arm strength, and of course his running ability. If you look at what Leonard has done in his career as a runner, I knew he was great, but when you look at the numbers, it's even more impressive than what I thought going into it. He has 1,224 career rushing yards and 19 touchdowns on 229 carries, but 30 of those 229 carries were sacks, so his sack-adjusted yards per carry is 6.15 yards. That's really, really impressive, and Mike Denbrock, the new offensive coordinator, certainly loves to utilize a dual-threat quarterback, and even though Angeli can run, he's nowhere near the runner that Leonard is, and even though, personally, I'm skeptical about Riley Leonard's NFL prospects. Scouts seem to love him, uh, and I think that's notable. But if we were going to compare Riley Leonard to Sam Hartman, I think that's to be determined. I can't really say definitively one way or another. Hartman is a more proven passer for sure, but he also struggled mightily in big games last season for Notre Dame. And uh, he was a good runner at Wake Forest, and maybe he still has it in him. I think I saw at the Senior Bowl he had the fastest time out of all of the quarterbacks. That was a little surprising, but he just didn't really run at Notre Dame very often unless, uh, until he absolutely had to on that 4th and 16 play against Duke. That's not going to be the case with Leonard. I, I imagine Notre Dame is going to run him quite a bit, especially in big games. So when you compare what Notre Dame has now in Riley Leonard compared to what they would have had, I just think that they really upgraded there. And not only that, Leonard has a better offensive coordinator and a better receiving core to throw to, which actually leads me to the wide receivers, because this is where we saw the most movement in the transfer portal. I think overall, they filled the gaps and they improved slightly. I don't think you can dismiss the fact that Notre Dame lost their top two leading wide receivers from last season in Chris Tyree and Rico Flores. Tyree had 26 catches for 484 yards and three touchdowns. Rico Flores Jr. had 27 catches, 392 yards, and a touchdown. But to me, the Flores loss hurts the most because he's so young, and I just love his game. I think he's um, he's got a great approach to the game. He tries really hard. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but even when he'd run in motion, I think Luke Smith pointed that out way back when. He runs so hard, and he's really aggressive, and he just really loves the game of football. I was really disappointed to see him go. And Chris Tyree, I would have loved to have his experience on the team, but he plays slot. Notre Dame has a bunch of slot receivers right now, and he would have had to split reps with Faison. And even though... Um, Chris Tyree is very fast and, ex- and explosive in his own right. I actually think that Jordan Faison is a more dynamic uh, ball carrier, which is crazy to think about because Chris Tyree was the five-star coming out of high school and Jordan Faison is the walk-on the cross player. But still, uh, I'm very excited about Faison's potential at Notre Dame. When you look at Tobias Merriweather and Braylon James, like I was just out 
on Tobias Merriweather at the end of his time at Notre Dame. It just felt like it wasn't going to pan out. I think he has so much potential, but it just, I don't know if it was his mindset, his work ethic. I don't know what it was, but he just didn't produce at Notre Dame like I expected him to. And I just was really frustrating to see him just give up on some routes and not really try that hard and make some plays. So I think he has a good chance to succeed at Cal, but it just wasn't really working out for him at Notre Dame. So I don't even look at that as a big loss, even though he played a lot for Notre Dame last season. And I don't really have much of an opinion on Braylon James. It's kind of hard to because he played so little in his only season at Notre Dame. I did think it was a significant red flag that Braylon James barely ever saw the field, despite how bad Notre Dame was at the position last year. And even though we heard all these great things about his athletic ability and stuff in spring practice, I don't think he ever had a full grasp of the playbook. And the fact that that same walk-on lacrosse player I just referred to jumped him halfway through the season was certainly alarming. And I think it's a big reason why he is now at TCU. But Notre Dame was able to add two potential starters at wide receiver in Chris Mitchell and Bo Collins. Mitchell is the most productive out of any of the guys Notre Dame added at wide receiver, 64 catches, over 1,000 yards, and seven touchdowns at Florida International last season. Plus, he had 453 yards after the catch, so he's really dynamic with the ball in his hands. Bo Collins, his career's been kind of strange because he came out of high school with a ton of hype, but hasn't really lived up to his potential yet, even though he's played a lot in his three seasons at Clemson. He had 510 receiving yards last year, plus three touchdowns, which would have led Notre Dame. Same with Mitchell, obviously. But to me, when I look at the receiver room, I think the best case scenario for Notre Dame is that neither of those guys start because Jane Thomas and Jane Greathouse make big improvements. And then these two guys that Notre Dame added in Collins and Mitchell are really good reserves. I think that would indicate an extremely healthy wide receiver room. So Looking at next year, I think the additions of Chris Mitchell and Bo Collins outweigh the loss of Rico Flores, Chris Tyree, and Tobias Merriweather, um, and Braylon James as well. And then, you know, the addition of Jane Harrison, uh, the player for Marshall, I feel like it's kind of a wash adding him and then losing James. I just don't really know what to expect from Harrison. He was a late addition, and I think he's going to make his biggest impact on special teams. You look at tight end, though, losing Holden Stays is a net negative. There's really no way you can spin that. Even though he's not a starter, he's a quality number two tight end. His stat sheet from last season doesn't jump off the page. Only had 15 receptions, 174 yards, four touchdowns. And Eli Raritan might be better than him. There's a real chance that's the case. I certainly thought that would be the case coming out of high school, and I really love what Eli Raritan could be at Notre Dame. But he also has had two ACL surgeries of his own in his career, and Mitchell Evans, the projected starter at tight end, is also coming off an ACL surgery. So it would have been great to have all three of those guys healthy and ready to go at the start of the season. Uh, everything that we've heard about Mitchell Evans and his recovery has been overwhelmingly positive up to this point. I think Eli Raritan is a really quality number two, but I just think that it would have been nice to have Holden stays for depth purposes. And then if you look at the offensive line, I think they pretty much stay the same, which is pretty odd to say considering Zeke Carell has started for almost three full seasons at Notre Dame dating back to 2021 when he's playing left guard but the staff clearly believes that Ashton Craig is the future and they basically told Zeke Carell that um, he probably wasn't going to be a starter for Notre Dame next season now he's at NC State where I believe he's going to be a starter from day one good for him and then as I mentioned earlier Joey Tenona not really a loss and Michael Carmody just never made an impact on the field at Notre Dame so that's just natural uh, attrition to me I don't really look at that as a loss so when you look at the offense as a whole 
Yes, they lost some key pieces. There's no going away from that. But they upgraded at the most important position at quarterback, and I think that they were really able to improve at wide receiver because they brought in two more proven guys who will have more of an impact next season than I believe Rico Flores and Chris Tyree would have if they had stayed at Notre Dame. All right, coming up next, I'll tell you how Notre Dame made its already great defense even better. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. What I love most about the Super Bowl, honestly, is that it's all about football for one day. The entire world is focusing on football. How great is that? And you know what else I like about the Super Bowl? I like winning bets. Sure makes it a lot more fun, especially when you're with your buddies and you all get to share in that moment. You hit that 10-leg parlay, you hit the Patrick Mahomes over on all that, and you cash it out at the very end. And you can do all of that on FanDuel because FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers, join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit Fandle.com slash locked on to sign up. That's Fandle.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with Fandle, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, now let's flip it over to the other side of the ball. We got to include special teams as well, as we've said before in this podcast, a third of the game. All right, so Notre Dame did not lose as many guys on defense as they did on offense, but they did lose some guys. They lost six total, but they were able to add three guys on defense, um, and they added a kicker in Mitch Jeter. So let's look at who they lost. They lost Nana Osafa-Mensa, the defensive end. He's now at TCU. The defensive tackle, Aiden Kayanana, he's at Cal. Nolan Ziegler is at Central Michigan. Ryan Barnes, the cornerback, is at UMass. Safety, Ramon Henderson, is at UCLA. Notre Dame has had a lot of guys go to UCLA. I, I get it. I live right down the street, and it's nice out here. I'll say that. They also lost Antonio Carter, the safety, who they added from Rhode Island. At, at the time of this recording, he does not have a home. Now, if you look at who Notre Dame added, R.J. Oban from Duke, who's a really good pass rusher. They added Jordan Clark from Arizona State, who's a cornerback, likely to play nickel at Notre Dame. And they added Rod Hurd II, cornerback from Northwestern, mostly played the nickel. Notre Dame expects to play him at safety now that he's with the Irish. And then they landed Mitch Jeter, the kicker out of South Carolina, who I love. But more on him in a little bit. Let's look at where Notre Dame improved the most, and I think it's on defensive line, and I think a big reason why is because of R.J. Oban. I expect him to be a day-one starter at the strong side end. Now, he's going to have to battle a little bit with Josh Burnham, who just moved over from Viper. He is now going to play strong side end after playing Viper for pretty much the last season and a half, and I think that Burnham has plenty of upside, but what Oban is able to do when it comes to getting after the passer uh, is going to get him on the field a lot. In his career, in Oban's career, I should say, he has 14 career sacks, 20 tackles for loss, four forced fumbles, and an interception. And he's going to be a sixth-year senior at Notre Dame. So he also has a ton of experience. A ton of experience. Personally, I would have liked to have Nana Osafa Mensa around just for depth purposes. He was solid at Notre Dame last year as Cervantes Jean Baptiste backup. He finished with three or three sacks and twelve total tackles. But I think that a big reason why Notre Dame essentially told Nana he's best suited to transfer somewhere else is because of Josh Burnham's move to strong side end. I think the cl- the staff is clearly higher on Burnham, and that's a big reason why Nana decided to leave. Now. 
As for Aiden Kainaina, it just never really worked out for him at Notre Dame. Unfortunately for him, he suffered a torn ACL in spring ball, like right at the time when it looked like he could start to make an impact on the interior of the defensive line as a reserve. And then he was just never able to be a factor after that, despite the fact that he's a really big dude. And uh, I think there's a chance that he ends up having a decent college career now that he's off at Cal. But if you were trying to compare Oban and his addition compared to what Notre Dame had last year at Strong State and Javante Jean-Baptiste, those are some big shoes to fill. Okay, so I'm not even going to get into that. Maybe he does. Uh, you know, I, I thought Javante Jean-Baptiste would be good at Notre Dame, and then he was outstanding. He might have been – actually, yeah, he probably was the best transfer that Notre Dame added in last cycle. So there's certainly a chance that Oban has his best year of his career at Notre Dame, much like JJB did last season. But one thing I'm certain of is that adding R.J. Oban is much better than the alternative, even though I'm high on Josh Burnham and what he could do. He has not proven to be the kind of pass rusher that R.J. Oban is. They tried Burnham at Viper, which is a position that is much much more conducive to getting after the quarterback. Burnham was decent at it, not as good as Oban, so I think that was a really quality addition. At linebacker, Nolan Ziegler, um, not even going to get into that. That's not a loss at all for Notre Dame. I know he dealt, dealt with some mental health issues. I think the issues run a lot deeper than that, so I'm going to say on that topic. Let's move to quarterback, Jordan Clark. This one is tricky. For me, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I was open about the fact that I didn't necessarily love the addition of Jordan Clark, especially so early in the process. Like if Notre Dame had looked at a bunch of other corner slash nickel um, prospects and this is the best one that they could get, that's one thing. But I believe that if Jordan Clark wasn't the first player to commit to Notre Dame as a transfer, he was second behind Chris Mitchell, but I'm pretty sure he was first. And the real reason for my concern is if you look at what Clark did last year at Arizona State, where he played nickel, he allowed 49 receptions on 73 targets for 533 yards and five touchdowns. That's not great, okay? And if you watch his film, that's not really that great either. Now, in his defense, the defense on Arizona State was terrible. So maybe there were some situations where he was put uh, in a bad spot because the guys around him were not very good. The quarterback had all day to, uh, to throw. That's all true. Like, I, I totally... Uh, could understand the point that Jordan Clark's stats are not indicative of what he is as a player, what he could be at Notre Dame. He's pretty good at stopping the run. He had 30 tackles. He also was able to make some plays on the ball. He had nine passes defended last season. I'm just not sure that Jordan Clark is definitively better than the alternative on Notre Dame's roster. I think that's going to be a big storyline uh, throughout spring practice and really the summer and heading into fall because I think there's a real chance that Christian Gray, who will be a true sophomore next season, I think that Gray could start at nickel if the staff decides to start Jade Mickey at the field corner opposite Benjamin Morrison. Now, personally, I would rather see Gray start at true corner and maybe figure out nickel. It could be um, Jordan Clark. It could also be Clarence Lewis. He's still around. I don't really think Jane Mickey is an option at nickel. He's just too thin. Like, he's not big enough to play in the run game. But Christian Gray is big enough to play there. So that's kind of why I think they might end up moving him to nickel. But um, it's almost certainly not going to be an upgrade over what Notre Dame had last year at nickel and Thomas Harper, who is just exceptional. That's another guy, though, that exceeded expectations. Tariq Bracey the year before, that was a really quality nickel. Thomas Harper was even better than him, in my opinion. He was great against the run and the pass. So maybe Notre Dame continues this trend of adding nickels who we thought would be decent and end up being really good. But what I'm really excited about is that safety. 
because I think Rod Hurd is an upgrade on both fronts. Now, Notre Dame did lose Ramon Henderson and Antonio Carter, but I still love this addition. Notre Dame desperately needed a safety to start opposite Xavier Watts, especially after Henderson left for the portal. And I think that Hurd is much better than the alternatives left on the roster in Adon Schuller and Luke Talc. Now, those two guys... Um, as well as Ben Minnick, they could end up being really good players at Notre Dame, but they are both going to be redshirt freshmen, and I just don't feel comfortable about a redshirt freshman starting at safety at Notre Dame, especially when both of them just, you know, they're still learning. They're still growing. They're still physically just, uh, developing, especially Talek in that regard, and uh, I just feel a lot better about a guy like Hurd who has played a lot of college football at Northwestern and has been a really productive player in his time. Uh, in his career with the Wildcats. Last year, he finished with 54 tackles, two forced fumbles, an interception, and four passes defended. And even though he played uh, mostly at like the nickel corner last year uh, for Northwestern, Notre Dame is going to play him at safety. I think he's going to be in the box a lot more, kind of like what DJ Brown was last year. And I think that Hurt is a lot better at tackling than DJ Brown was. Now, I do think DJ Brown had some value, even though he wasn't a good playmaker. I think Hurt is going to be an upgrade over him as well. So I really, really like that addition, despite the fact that Notre Dame did lose two safeties. Finally, kicker, Mitch Jeter, man. I think he's an upgrade on both fronts. I think we're going to look back on Mitch Jeter as one of the most pivotal additions in the class because I think he's going to hit some clutch kicks for the Irish this year. He's just deadly accurate. He was 23 of 25 on field goal attempts in his career. Both of his misses were from beyond 50, but he does have power. It's not like he has a weak leg. He's made three of his five career attempts from beyond 50 yards, and he has a career long of 53. That's just one yard shorter than Spencer Schrader, who we all know has a really big leg, but he was also very inconsistent with Notre Dame last year. He went 15 of 22. Uh, overall on his kicks, and he missed four out of his 15 kicks from under 50 yards. So another thing I really like about Cheater is that he's played in big-time SEC stadiums. He's not going to be afraid of the moment. He's accurate. He's reliable. And I just feel really good about what he's going to do for Notre Dame next season. All in all, when I look at the defense, I feel like the rich got richer. And when I look at special teams, I'm going to have much more faith in Cheater than I did with Schrader last season. Okay, coming up in segment three, I'll explain why Notre Dame really needs to add at least one player at two key positions in order to have a truly great roster heading into 2024. All right, let's close things out by taking a look at what I believe Notre Dame still needs to add in the transfer portal once it opens up again uh, after spring practice. And let's start with the most important one, and that is offensive tackle, and specifically a starter. Because as of now, Notre Dame has three players competing for the two open tackle spots left by Joe Wall and Blake Fisher now that they are both off to the NFL. Charles Jagasaw, Tosh Baker, and Emil Wagner. Those three guys have a combined four career college starts. Baker has three. He started two games way back in 2021. It did not go well for him at all. And then he started again in the Sun Bowl uh, this past season, and that was much better than what he had done in the past. Charles Jagasaw got his first career start in that Sun Bowl as well, and his first game playing tackle because his only other appearance for Notre Dame last season was at guard. So they're actually moving a guard outside, and maybe he's going to be the starting left tackle uh, next season, but I think there's a lot more to play out here over the course of these next eight months. Losing Blake Fisher and Joe Alt stings. I think it's going to be next impossible to live up to what Alt did at Notre Dame, at least next season, because he's probably going to be the first offensive tackle taken off the board in the NFL draft. He's going to go down as one of the greatest left tackles in the history of Notre Dame football, which is a pretty storied history, especially at that position. But it is feasible for Notre Dame to get a tackle out of any one of these guys who was as productive, if not more productive, than what 
Blake Fisher was last season. I think it's more likely that they are able to add a guy similar to Blake Fisher in the transfer portal. Now, it's going to be hard. There's not a ton of great tackle prospects who entered the transfer portal because if you're really that good, you just go to the NFL because it's such a coveted position. Like, I thought that Blake Fisher had a pretty underwhelming season last year at Notre Dame. He's still probably going to be like a third or fourth round pe- uh, third or fourth round pick because he has the measurables and tackles are just so sought after at the next level. Now, I think that Jagasaw or Wagner or maybe even Tosh Baker could potentially be about where Blake Fisher was last season. I think Tosh Baker probably has the best chance if we're looking at next season, just because he's been around the longest. Um, but Emil Wagner is extremely athletic. If he's able to bulk up in the weight room over the course of this offseason, I think he's actually going to be the front runner to start. Charles Jagasaw, I think there's a lot to be determined with him. The fact that he was even able to jump up and start in that Sun Bowl is extremely impressive because he wasn't around for spring practice last season. He was coming off an injury, show, so he showed up to camp out of shape, but still over the course of the season, jumped all the way up to the starting left tackle in the spring game. So if he continues on that trajectory, maybe we don't have to have this discussion and Notre Dame won't need to add a tackle, but I still think it'd be the safe move. And I think the fact that Notre Dame was pretty openly pursuing a transfer at tackle in this last cycle is telling. Um, According to Pete Sampson from The Athletic, he said that Notre Dame wanted a guy in particular, I don't know who that player is, and that person never entered their name in the portal. They thought he might, he ended up not doing it. But it's also telling that Notre Dame, despite the fact that they were looking for a guy, didn't just take anyone. They didn't just take a body because they felt like they needed a body no matter what. That shows you that they at least have some trust in the guys that they have on their roster. Personally, I would just feel a lot better if Notre Dame was able to add a true starting tackle for next season, a guy who has started games in college, who's been pretty productive and could boost the offensive line next season. But it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult, especially in the spring cycle as opposed to the winter. I also think Notre Dame needs to add a reserve defensive tackle and um, you're not going to get a starter who's better than Riley Mills and Howard Cross in the transfer portal. Like that's, that's just not happening. But they could add a guy similar to Chris Smith the guy they they added from Harvard for the 2022 season. And I think this need really intensified once Gabriel Rubio uh, decided to step away from the team and the university for the spring. The hope is still that he can come back to the team um, in the summer and hopefully for the fall, but his future is uncertain right now. So I think we need to act as if he won't be around for the team uh, or for the season in 2024. Right now, Notre Dame's backups at defensive tackle are Jason Anye and Donovan Heinisch. Jason Anya has been around. He started to really shine during spring practice and fall camp last year. Didn't make quite the impact that we thought he could during the actual season, but still, he's a quality reserve. Donovan Heinish has a really bright future. Um, if he's anything like what his brother was at Notre Dame, that's going to be an unbelievable career for Donovan Heinish. But I think it's more realistic to find someone like Chris Smith. I mentioned him earlier. Uh, in that 2022 season, Smith played 265 snaps, 17 tackles, two quarterback hurries, and a forced fumble. Again, not something that's going to like jump off the page to you, but it's still uh, really important that Notre Dame has a guy who's good enough to come in when Cross or Mills gets hired, and it's not an enormous drop-off because you need to have guys who can rotate in, especially on the defensive line, just because of the nature of the position. And the third one, I would say, is tight end. Now, this is, I would say, to be determined because it's mostly dependent on how Mitchell Evans recovers from his injury. And as I said earlier, so far, 
it's been really positive. It sounds like the timeline has gone really well for him. He suffered that injury in the pick game um, this past season, which I believe was in, yeah, late October. So you do the math. You're thinking, okay, he's definitely out for spring practice, probably most this summer. Maybe he can start getting some on-field reps during fall camp, but mo- most likely he's not going to be 100% for the season opener against Texas A&M. The alternatives for Notre Dame are Eli Raritan, who's, as I said earlier, already dealt with two ACL tears in his career, and Cooper Flanagan, who's a true sophomore who le- who looked really good in limited action last season. He was um, much more of an important player than I would have expected he would be as a true freshman, so the future for him is really bright. Uh, Jack Larson, the true freshman, I think he's got a lot of um, developing to do physically. He just needs to get bigger. He's not the tallest guy, but he's also a really, really good receiving threat, so maybe he finds a way on the field as a true freshman. I would not rule that out. He could be a really good tight end at Notre Dame, even though he doesn't have the traditional size that we become accustomed to for Notre Dame's tight end. So if Evans' progress slows at all, right, I think Notre Dame should definitely go out and get a guy. It's going to be hard to get a starter. I thought the only real starter that they could have added was Ben Yurasek from Stanford, but it looks like he might end up at Georgia. I was looking it up before uh, I did this pod and I was prepping. Um, Yurasek doesn't have a team. It looks like he took visits to Georgia and Texas, but he is not committed to either, and I feel like those schools have already started classes. So I don't really know. I'm going to do some more digging into the Ben Yurasek situation, but Notre Dame does not appear to be a player there. And uh, they're going to have to look again uh, in the spring transfer portal. In my opinion, I think they should look and see if they could find a quality reserve to make up for the loss of Holden stays and the potential absence of Mitchell Evans at the start of next season. So as we wrap things up here, I would say I'm, I'm very pleased with how aggressive Notre Dame was in the transfer portal. It wasn't perfect, the cycle as a whole, because they took some hits, they lost some guys like Flores uh, and Tyree that they would have loved to have back for next season. But at this point, literally every team in the country takes a couple of hits uh, in the transfer portal. It's just the nature of the beast now. And I thought that Notre Dame responded exceptionally well with the additions that they made. And if they can shore up those positions I just mentioned after spring ball, I think Notre Dame is going to have a loaded roster that can definitely compete for a college football playoff next season and potentially win a couple games and be in the mix right there at the very end. Okay, that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks again for making Lockdown Irish your first listen of the day. I will be back tomorrow morning. Remember to please subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow the show on X at Lockdown Irish. We're on Instagram as well at Lockdown Irish Pod. And if you want to follow my personal X account, it's at Tyler, W-O-J-C-I-A-K. I'll see you guys tomorrow.